Welcome to episode 27 of the Hockey Masterclass, brought to you by Everything Hockey. With over 750 products, they have something for every hockey fan. You can use a discount code MASTERCLASS to get 10% off your entire order. Go check out everythinghockey.com. John, welcome back to another week. How are things going with you? Uh, going all right. I've been spending a lot of time in front of my computer, cutting up a lot of video for for a lot of players that I'm working with uh, remotely. You know, you have to, you know, not everybody's got to kind of figure out the different ways to, uh, I know the big word pivot, um, pivot and then and, and, uh, be flexible in, in what we do out there. So I've just been kind of cutting up a little bit of video and trying to help out some players that I'm, uh, I'm very familiar with. Uh, besides that, um, you know, just read the news before we got on that. Unfortunately, the women's world championship is is being canceled in Halifax. And uh, I know, uh, I know, for for example, Hillary Knight, uh, that's that's going to be a, a real tough pill to swallow. It stings. I mean, uh, obviously, with that news, you know, in my world, the CFL announced that the season is going to get pushed back to likely August. So as much as we thought that uh, the world would start to rebound and, and is uh, as tough as it is to turn on TV at times and see, you know, 40,000 people watching baseball down in Texas, the reality for the hockey world is uh, we're certainly not past it. And the reality for the world in Canada is obviously we're lagging behind. And as a result, it's, it's going to be difficult to resume some activities. So I'm just, I hate to think about what's next. Yeah, absolutely. I, I just think, you know, and, and we're not going to spend, you know, an hour debating on this, but we know that there's going to be a lot of people who are just going to point out the fact that, you know, men's world championship is booked and world juniors have been booked and world under 18s have been booked. And so, you know, I, I just hope for them because, you know, we've had two hall of famers on, we have a future hall of famer that's been on, we will have others. Um, you know, I, I've gotten to know more and more uh, women that play the game and work in hockey you just really hope that someone's able to step up and at least um, host this tournament. If it's delayed, obviously, so be it. But, um, you know, they haven't had a tournament since 2019. Uh, they deserve one, even under these difficult times. Um, I think it's I think there is a solution out there. And so hopefully this cancellation turns more into a postponement more than anything. Hopefully. I mean, one of the discussions that we certainly have about playing sports or even in life is just uh, equality. And, and you talk about, you know, how players on your team, when you go into training camp, are given an equal opportunity to earn things. And in this case, there's just not that opportunity for the women to play. Um, we look at the, you know, you know, cancellation of the OHL season, which obviously affects our guests this week. Whereas, again, in, in some of the other leagues they've been playing, um, you know, I was talking to somebody who's high, who playing high school hockey in the U.S., played 40 games this year. If you played high school hockey here in Quebec, you probably played zero. So it's, uh, it's also just tough for, for athletes who are at that age where they're looking for what's next. I'm not talking about your eight year old. I'm talking about your 15, 16, 17, 18 year old who is looking for what's next in their careers. And, um, and it's having a difficult time because it hasn't been a level playing field for everyone in, in terms of trying to get to the next level. Right. And, and, and in the day and age of, you know, digital and social media it's so easy to see who's playing who's not because it's being you know it's being pushed and advertised all over social media which is fine you know people are happy to play their sports again and then you know and to your point we're not the eight and nine year olds they're going to be okay you know i talked to a hockey dad this week whose whose son is nine years old and he wondered you know how much 
let's say his son or other kids were going to, you know, let's say fall behind. But I said, whether kids have been sneaking off and doing illegal privates or legal private sessions or whatever, nobody's really been able to play. So everybody's in the same boat. But to your point, that that range around 15, 16, where kids are trying to earn that peak of minor hockey like midget AAA or earn a junior draft in the CHL or earn a commitment from a junior A team or earn a scholarship. And then you get the, the players that are at that point when they're leaving college and then they didn't get to have their senior year. Or you have, you know, in this case, like we talked about the women's game, we have some women that, you know, potentially might be near the tail end of their career and they don't get to go out having played that last tournament, that's the stuff that really, I think, drags down a lot of the athletes. And those are the conversations that I've had, you know, in in, in my case, for example, or, or other people's cases, even more severely, where they haven't even been able to earn a living. And that those are, those are just difficult times, but that's not just in hockey. That transcends right across uh, every walk of life. So today's guest, Andre Tournier, has uh, basically become Mr. Team Canada. They've kind of created or, or recreated a role that really hasn't been around since kind of the mid-2000s with respect to kind of, uh, kind of this global role overseeing some various Team Canada, uh, you know, operations roles uh, across from World Juniors all the way to the Olympics. And, um, and obviously, we, we all saw the World Juniors, as you mentioned, most of us watched because that was pretty much all that was happening at the time. Unfortunately, Team Canada didn't come home with the gold medal, but uh, certainly Andre was, was front and center. And uh, we really enjoyed our conversation with him. You know, you've known him for quite a while. Obviously, he's, he's been in several uh, leagues and has had success at many levels. But um, this is really kind of an old school throwback guy from, uh, from the conversation we had. Yeah, you know, and and though and though he's got that old school kind of throwback element to him, you know, he admits wholeheartedly, and that's that's the thing, you know, like some people that are gonna are gonna log into this episode, please, like, really, you know, you don't have to listen to it all in one sitting or anything like that, but you know, listen to his answers and, and to that to that point about old school is that he admits wholeheartedly the Andre Tourney of two thousand two and the Andre Tourney of 2021 is is a changed coach it's an evolved coach and Ben Gruz talked about it we've all talked about it and part of it is just the evolution of just learning a little bit more learning from our mistakes uh holding ourselves accountable when we've maybe not done things the right way or or spoken to players the right way or whatever the case may be and, you know, then that gets attached to things that are, have been too often just hashtags like culture and this and that, like cultures can evolve. Cultures can get better. Cultures can get worse also. And usually they get worse when you don't evolve. And so Andre is definitely a really good example of someone that's evolved and been able to, you know, be in the Quebec major junior league with two different teams. Uh, be in the OHL, obviously, now with the Ottawa 67s, going to the NHL with two different teams. And he's a, and a sought-after hockey coach. And now we can just basically call him, you know, Coach Canada, I guess. And one thing that was interesting is we, we obviously talk on the notion of kind of philosophy. And we've talked about that the last few episodes. And, uh, you know, Andre's perspective was, well, your, your philosophy shouldn't really change that much. Again, culture, coaching styles, tactics – 
certainly will, as he acknowledges. But he says, listen, when it comes to things like hard work, you know, hard work is something that's always been part of the philosophy. And I'm not going to obviously now change that and say, well, it's okay if you're an okay worker or, or now, you know, I'm going to view uh, players differently in terms of overall work ethic. So I did like the fact that not that he pushed back on the, on the concept of change of philosophy, but he also understood who he was. And obviously part of the DNA and part of a person's, uh, you know, kind of way of life is not going to change wholeheartedly. But uh, I did find it interesting, by the way, that he just felt like there's certain things about him that have changed a lot and other things that he felt like were always just him and probably won't change anyways. Well, I think that goes back to more kind of like the values element of his philosophy, right? You know, and, um, you know, I've, I've said it before on this and whether it's Nick Saban, whether it's any coach or walk of life, it, it just takes what it takes. Like, it's just, there is no magic potion. There isn't, you know, just be the most skilled player without working hard. I mean, you know, there is an element of working hard, but learning as you evolve and mature to work in a smarter fashion as well. That's, that's part of an evolution for any of us, whether you're on the pitch or whether you're behind the laptop and, but you just, you just can't show up and not work. And the athletes that have tried to do it, unfortunately, you know, get pushed out of their sport pretty quickly or never make it at all. And just because it takes what it takes. And, you know, if, if you think you're fooling anyone, you're not because outside of working in a cubicle where no one can look over your shoulder and, or, or being in a classroom, no one's looking over your shoulder in a stadium setting, on a pitch, on a field, on a diamond, on a sheet of ice, everybody can see. Whether you're a trained professional, everybody can see whether you're working hard or not. So for this week's Hockey Lab Tip of the Week, we're actually just going to steal from something that Andre said because it's so valuable and it happens a little bit later in the episode, so it made sense to pull it forward. But you know, he says, the way Andre sees it is that the player is two people, the player and the person. And I, I, lo- I loved what he said because – I think it helps put into context how a player should look at an individual and separate the roles. And you talk about it a lot as well throughout your time coaching in terms of your philosophy and and the separation. But I thought just in that little simple tidbit, which is this week's tip, he really kind of helped me understand a little bit better in terms of going, here's how simple it is, right? Each person is, is two people. It's the player and the person. You know, and and what's made, I think, Andre realize this, myself realize this. I, I've had some players that are the most shy human beings you've ever met, the shyest person you've ever met. You put them on a sheet of ice and they're ferocious. They're a pit bull, you know. Um, and so it really shows you that, first of all, there's a lot of ways to teach many different personalities. But, for example, also, like someone might have a bad, bad game or a bad practice. And it's your it's the coach's job. You know, be like, that's, that's not acceptable. I'm not talking about mistakes. I'm just talking about lack of effort or lack of focus or whatever. You know, that was a bad practice. You know, I'm not calling you a bad human being. I'm not calling you a bad person, but Andre takes it a step further. And I really like this kicks a guy out of practice because of lack of effort, lack of focus, what lack of whatever work ethic and all that stuff. And then post-practice, you know, the players are, you know, hanging around the player's lounge, ready to go to school. And there he goes up to that player and he's, he's talking to him like, Hey, Jonesy, what's up? You know, what time school, what classes you got today? And everybody's kind of taken aback at first and be like, wait a second. 
isn't that the same player you kicked out of practice? And he makes it a real distinct uh, separation of both in that moment. And I don't want to steal from the story any further. And it's something that we all have to learn from. Um, similarly to whether it's the parents' expectations, there's your son or daughter and your son or daughter, the athlete. And that could be two different personalities for sure. And it's the same thing as a coach and a parent. And again, Andre talks about that. Ben has talked about that. So, you know, there's those two hats. You can wear them. You can wear them proudly, but neither one always defines the other. I agree. And I think the the challenge here is actually putting it into practice is, you know, being a coach, being somebody who's going to go, okay, I'm going to try this. I'm going to try it and ensure that I can figure out a way to separate the two. And Andre obviously has been coaching for, for a long time and has clearly figured it out, but it's not something that necessarily comes natural to most people. Cause in most cases, the people you're with are one and the same, right? In his case, what he's done is figure out a way to separate the two. And honestly, as an employer, employers should look at it the same way because you have your employee who has a job title. He's the manager, the director, the coordinator, whatever he is. And he's also the person who happens to work for your company. And the, the roles there are separate. And the ability to be able to turn that switch on and off is exceedingly important. So again, for those listening who are you know parents, great, but also understand that most parents are in the workforce and know that also, by the way, your boss is probably going to try to do the same thing or should be, or try to encourage that relationship where the light switch can go on and off with respect to the employee and the person. So I thought it was great because I think it works in several contexts. And obviously it's uh, less of a uh, direct hockey lab tip of the week, but certainly we want to borrow from it because I thought it was extremely powerful. So that is this week's hockey lab tip of the week brought to you by Montreal's premier off-ice training facility. Check it out at hockeylab.ca. So, John, I, I think we've given you enough so far. I think we need to go right into this thing because, as we know, John uh, and Andre do share something in common, which is very long-winded answers. So um, it's one of those episodes where we talk very little, and Andre gives us a hell of a lot. So with that being said, let's bring on Andre. So welcome in for episode 27, the uh, head coach of the Ottawa 67s, the GM head coach of Team Canada, not just at the World Juniors, but eventually with the world championships, a system with the Olympic team, this newly kind of newly created vintage position that one Dave King used to kind of have. Let's welcome in Andre Tourigny. Thank you, guys. Thanks for having me. How are you, Bear? Very good. Very good. So I know it's today. Um, today's going to be possibly some tough news for you guys in the OHL and we were just talking off air and I've known you for quite a while now, a little perspective for, for the audience. I've spoken to Andre many, many times, whether it be uh, coach reports, player reports on players, but even having interviewed for Andre's staff in the Hawaiian Aranda, I know similar to myself and a lot of coaches, we are uh, competitors at heart. And right now, since, since the world juniors, I haven't been able to really compete. So how are you holding up with that? Uh, it's it's been tough to be honest. I I'm glad I had the World Junior. Seriously, that that was a game breaker, a game changer because I spent so much time because of the circumstance of the bubble and the we changed plan so many times for the World Junior because the the restrictions were changing. So I've been super busy. I will say from September to January I was full time. So that keep my mind busy. That was good. 
And then when I came back, the NHL got going. So that gave me a chance to really dive in in the NHL and watch NHL. But like like we all know, it's different watching NHL and watching conference and everything. I, I, reading book. I, okay, I did it. That's that's enough. Now I'm I'm just in the moon. I want to get back in the heat in the battle. I want to be back behind the bench. I want I want to be in the competition. I want to try to win. And right now I'm okay. Development it's important, but it's not the way we're wired. We're, we're wired to compete, and we want to. I want to get back at it. So lucky for me, I'm going to World Championship soon. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about this this new position with uh, with Hockey Canada. I don't think in a lot of ways it's um, something. I mean, there was enough attention, but maybe not enough clarity for say like our audience on what that means uh in this newly created position because you're going to be taking us basically like a sabbatical from the 67s exactly yeah exactly i will be around the 67s in term of uh making sure uh as a vp hockey ops to 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 supervise everything but my daily job will be uh, when hockey canada will be organize the olympic so, example, we will have three other coach. I will visit all those coach uh, in their NHL team, talk about how they like to run thing, what they like, what they don't like. I will uh, pull video from what what they do, example, on their special team or whatever. And I will do that with the three coach. Then I will get back and make sure I stay on top of uh, all the uh, the preps, the Detail slogan um, traveling and detail. I will not book the traveling, but I will do all the, the scheduling and making sure every details, uh, making sure we have all the analytic. We're in the, on the same same page because every guys can have can work with different company or some NHL team have their own. So to make sure we have a common language, so we know what we're talking about. Uh, when we talk about those advanced stats, uh, all, all those things, make sure we organize. That's what before the, the Olympics, I will visit uh, Beijing as well prior. So somewhere during the falls to make sure we organize everything out there. Uh, make sure we have all, all what we need. Um, I will pre-scout uh, the four nation, five nation, the, the, the Deutsch, Deutschland cup in the, in Germany and, uh, do those kind of things. So I will be busy with the Olympics, but then I have the World Junior as well. So all the scouting for the World Junior, the preps for the World Junior, which uh, I did it a couple of times, so that will help them. It's not unknown for me. I know where we're going and uh, what what will be the plan and what will be the schedule. And then after it will be the World Championship. So again, scouting. And the World Championship is a, is a different tournament. Like you know, it's player will not be in the playoffs so you need to build your team according to the standing and all of it so uh, it's uh there's a lot of good player in canada we're we're, we're fortunate but still it's uh to make sure we have, we cannot have 12 right winger we need we need to have a, a good balanced team so uh, doing those kind of prep but uh, it would be uh, will be a lot of prep and a lot of uh, other great coach I will have a chance to work with and to learn from those guys and share with those guys. So I, I take it as a huge development year for me. That's the way I see it. 
I mean, I think this, um, it's a phenomenal task that you have at hand. And, and I love the fact that obviously they're, they're helping kind of bridge the gap between the world juniors, world championships, Olympics, and yeah. give some continuity to the program. And obviously selecting you as the person to do it is fantastic. Uh, within this role, you know, how do you see your personal developments in terms of what are some things that you're going to work on? I know that you're big on growing and learning and, and that's one oh, yeah. thing you constantly do. And also, what are some things that you feel um, some of the other coaches around you will be doing at that time? In other words, like, what are some of the development goals for you and for the team in the next couple of years? It's, it, you know, Darren, it's a, it's a good question, but I will keep really my mind really open because uh, big, big weakness for a human being is to be afraid of the unknown, you know, and, and I don't want to be afraid of the unknown. Uh, there's stuff coaches who will be at the world championship will do i want i want to understand why they do it in that way probably they will do it differently than what i do or if they do the, the same they will have a little difference somewhere for sure and i want to i want to learn all those different things you know i'm sure your coach guys i'm sure john when you look vegas and you look the way they play you wonder why they have so much success on their four track versus the team you coach and you say what well, what exactly the, the the key points why they get so efficient in, in that situation or can be in the power play or can be whatever else. I always think every coach is better at me, is better than me at something. Whoever when I coach, whoever I coach against, I always think the guy on the other side is better than me at something. Maybe at 20 things, maybe at two things, but is is better than me at something. And I want to learn. All those things are better than me at. I want to learn from there and try to grow my game and get better and better. So that's that's my approach. So depends about the tournament. Depends about who I will be with. I will learn from all those coaches because we're talking about maybe three coach at the World Championship, three more at the Olympics, three at the at the uh, the World Junior, and three at the World Championship the year before. It's twelve coach. I will have chance to be around plus the manager i will be a, i will be with two manager over the world championship this year two next year for the at the olympics so it's eight nhl gm assistant gm who i will be around and i will be able to understand their vision what's their expectation from their coach what they like what they don't like how they build a team what's their key points when they build team and all of it you learn it my point of view on that is either you learn what you like or you learn what you don't like, but you still learn. Yet there's stuff you say, nah, don't like that. Or it's not for me. It's good, I'm sure, because they're they're initial guys. They know what they but it's not for me. It not in my value, not on my vision, not on my I have other priority, maybe, but whatever. I will learn from there. I will and maybe at the beginning I will think, ah, it's not for me. And then a month later, when I will live it, I will say, you know what? I was wrong. That's pretty damn good. And I will add that to my toolbox or try at least. So I think you need to have an open mind. So the one thing that our listeners need to know about you, because I've certainly you know, read enough to, to know that this is a common thread amongst everybody who talks about you, is your incredible work ethic. You know, And maybe it started many years ago chasing 40,000 chickens and 100 cows yeah. back on the farm. 
Yeah. Um, but everyone around OSEG, anybody who interacts with you talks about how hard you work. And obviously, as you describe your role in terms of all the things you're going to be doing over the next few years, it sounds like a lot. But I think if there's a man for the job and if there's someone who has that work ethic, it certainly seems to be you. So, you know, kudos to you. And obviously they found their man. And I think one thing you're talking about that's interesting is this notion that you're going to play a role of advisor with many of the coaches that you're around. And we hear that common thread from coaches that frankly have been on recently, whether it was Dave King, uh, Ken Hitchcock, I mean, Scotty Bowman playing in that role right now with Chicago. And it's becoming more of a common trend around hockey or even around even business um, to have that advisor. So talk about kind of the role of coach advisor in terms of you playing that role and also introduce the concept of who are your advisors and who do you lean on for that support? Yeah, that's a, that's something I love, to be honest. And, and I, it's it struck a little bit of Hockey Canada because during our World Junior this year with all our bubble, we had a, an opportunity to, um, to do a conference with Hockey Canada with coaches. And they arrive and they say, hey, coach, don't worry, we'll, we'll organize everything. We will have your PowerPoint done. We'll have all your thing done. And you just have to show there, do a presentation for 45 minutes, and that's it. Can you do that for us? What? Yeah, I can do it. But tell me what you want me to talk about. I will I will build it. I will, I will do it. And I want to do it. That will be a good opportunity to talk with coaching, to, to share information and to have fun, you know. And so they were happy about that. And when we start to talk with coaches they were you know how it is on zoom they can send questions and i started to answer all the question on on zoom and then when we we were in the panel so we had more uh, more more guys who were talking so while other guys were talking i was answering the coaches and i said to the coach if you have question you know don't hesitate to reach out i believe there's a big need there there's a big need for coach who wants to grow you know the Talking with Sheldon or Sheldon Keith the other day was talking here in Ottawa. They were they did a panel to uh, see how we can improve uh, the structure in minor hockey coaches. And they were talking. They were saying it's a high performance program. So at some point they were saying we do conference every week here in the HEO and we have a possibility to have 135 coach on the call, but only about 50 or 60 are showing up. So Sheldon Keefe said, but then it's not a high performance program. So the guy said, what do you mean? Well, Sheldon said, a high performer wants to be better. Every opportunity has to share information, to talk with a mentor, to talk with another coach, you take advantage of it. He said, it's the same thing for a player. It's the same thing for a coach. He said, player who doesn't, who don't train, don't tell me he's a high performance athlete. If, if you don't, if you don't do your training, if you don't work at your craft, you're not a high performance athlete. It's the same thing for a coach. So you want to be a high performance coach or you, you need to work at it. You need to, to try to be better. You need to put your time at it. And people say, oh yeah, okay. It's, you you you're you did so whatever in your life you coach at that level yeah, yeah whoa 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 I was coaching Pee Wee Double B not yesterday that's that's where I started that's coaching Pee Wee Double B Bantam Double B Bantam Double A as assistant coach Bantam Double A in charge and then I went major Triple A assistant coach junior major assistant coach major Triple A head coach and then junior major and then 
I coach my sons in, in, in minor hockey and peewee, Adam, peewee, all of it. So it doesn't happen like that from one day or the other. You, you need to, to work at your craft and try to be better every day. And maybe one day you will, you will achieve where you want to be, you know, but you need to work at it and you need to be curious. You need to ask people and at mentor. And you ask me who is, it's, it's a running gag. Every time Benoit Gru and I, we, we call it's an hour. That's for sure. Just to say hello, it's an hour. That's it, it never ends, you know. And it's same thing with other coach in the league. Uh, to every time I was talking to Patty Roy, it, it takes an hour as well. And you, I have guys in, who coach I coach with in the NHL and guys like Bill Peters or Dave Cameron or I coach with Willie Desjardins and all those guys I stay in touch with. One thing I'm not good at. It's networking. That's I'm not a network guy. I'm not a guy who will call a lot and call people who I don't know a lot, which which is a quality to have. But I don't have that one. I'm more a grinder than than anything else. But when I talk with those guys who I work with or guys like Ben Grew, we spend hours to talk. And Ben Grew said that, and I will I, I will say this. Every time I talk to Ben, I get better. Every time we have a phone call, he, he tell me two, three things he does or he believe or he change or he fell with. And I'm kind of, ah, oh, that's so true. And that's a mistake we make or that is something we can get better in whatever it is. And it's the same thing with a lot of coach where I spend time to talk with them. And I always learn a few details. And uh, I remember... Bell Peters being in the NHL and calling me and saying, "Hey, watch, watch video here. What are you doing on your on your PK four check or whatever?" He had question and my Babcock called me once was asking me about players. Who am I to get called by those people? But that mean how humble are those guys? And they just call to have information and try to pick the brain on someone else. So if they call Bear. They call someone else as well, and they get a lot from those conversations. Well, I could attest to, and and you know, we haven't been on the phone together in a while since you were in uh, uh, your one season in Halifax and all those years in Hawaii Naranda. Was I, I've told I've told many many people around uh, the Quebec circles is that only about four teams on a regular basis would call me for player evaluations. And a lot of teams that did it would like pass it off to a scout or whatever. But every time I got on the phone with you, I think it was two hours every single time, like every single, because it wasn't like yes and no questions. It wasn't copy paste. It was, you wanted to know A to Z about a player. And I wanted to share A to Z about a player. Um, and that just shows that there is a certain level of hockey junkie, but yeah. also development junkie yeah. that we are. Um, we're always trying to compete to be a, a better version of ourselves. I'll tell you where a, an effect, and this will uh, very much connect to where you are. And maybe you can elaborate for, for our audience a little bit about his influence and um kind of the big shoes that he left in, in the 67s organization, networking. 
I've always ha- I've always had to kind of put myself in that uncomfortable position to network. Yeah. And so the first NHL draft I attended, paid all the drafts I paid for myself. I went to Columbus, Ohio for the draft in 07. So for our listeners, that's Jake Voracek's draft and Carl Alsner. And I believe uh, if he is a late born, I think that's um, Giroux and those guys and stuff like that. So the flight from Toronto to Columbus, we're waiting and waiting and there's one seat left and it's beside me. And we're waiting and we're waiting and we're waiting. And there's a bunch of NHL network people. Does Brian Kilray not walk on the plane and there sit right beside me? Now, Hockey Hall of Famer, he's done it all, sits beside me. He doesn't pretend that I'm not there. Oh. He leans over. We start talking. I tell him where I'm coaching. I tell him a bit about my, like, he's asking me about my family. And then he goes, I've read your dad's books. And from there on, I was going to the draft. I didn't know a soul. I might recognize some people. He told me the rest of the week, this is the hotel that I'm at. Come by. I'll buy you dinner. I'll buy you a beer. Every time we were at the rink, uh, I think it's still called Nationwide, he'd introduce me to people and he just put his arm around me and took me under his wing. And for the next seven to eight years, we were in constant communication and he was one of those Dave Kings for me, he continued to be there and give that advice. So talk to us a little bit about Brian Kilray and what that means to you and the Ottawa 67s. Killer is unbelievable. That's a good story, Joan, because that's who he is. Killer is, is a man of the people. Is a, is, Killer is in the stands. He doesn't want to, be uh, a special treatment is with the fans walk in the building talk with the fans you you cannot go scout with brian kerry it's crazy there is a lineup of people it's like the rolling stone are in the place there's a lineup of people who are waiting to talk with with killer there's when i say people scout okay yeah fine coaches okay yeah fine Parents of player who played for him, or uh, one of the player is dad, no killer, but killer knows everybody. Killers, there's barely a player where we, when we scout, where killer doesn't have a story. Kind of, oh yeah, little Johnny is dad. Uncle play for Owen Sound, and his neighbor was. He's unbelievable, and we're not talking about a 35 years old guy. Killer, when I arrived, was 81, and to this day, he's sharp like you can't imagine. And he's humble, never impose anything, always willing to talk hockey. You can talk hockey forever. When we go scout, we arrive at the building at 7 in the morning. We live at 11 at night. We do that three days in a row. He's 80 years old. No problem. He loves hockey. He's so passionate. And every time we talk about the 67s, about training camps, about player evaluation, he will bring his opinion. He will respect the opinion of everybody. And 
it's so fun to be around him. He's always with a smile, always with a story. He's the best storyteller in the history of the sports. I think. He's unbelievable. You, you have him one day on your podcast, he will say story forever. Well, let's tie this in. So you talk about yourself being, you know, this, I think a lot of people just like hashtags on Twitter, you know, it's so easy to be a hashtag and it's so easy to retweet stuff. And, and we, I'll be honest, I, I, I could be pretty critical of people who live by hashtags, but don't actually li- walk the walk. You know, I'm, 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 it's a big pet peeve of mine. And, you know, there's this big, there's been this big movement in hockey and, and sports is that everything new is great and everything old is bad. And so tying that in with how you try to learn and you try to get better, that means you hold yourself accountable. Let's be honest. Tie this into Killer. Another addition to the Killer story was he told me that when he finished the OHL draft, he would spend two weeks and he would go door to door to every draft pick's home, look the parents in the eye and said, I'm the person you're entrusting your child to if he chooses to come to Ottawa. And so I've shared that story and it made me think about this, this big line in the sand a lot of times between the parents and the coaches and who makes it bigger and for what reasons and where's the mistakes that we make. And the last part is how does this tie into the philosophies for you that have had to evolve from midget AAA in 12 VI to junior to pro back to junior. I know that's a lot, yeah. but no, that's a, that's a really good point because it's uh, it, it really resonated with me first. When, when we got in Ottawa, when I got the job, talked to killer killer told me that story. So James and I, we said, you know what? That's awesome. We, I think you need a level of confidence as a coach. And a lot of coach, they, they're like the little dog. But they're scared to go talk to the parents. They play the tough guy, but they're, they're not confident. So when Keller said that, James and I, we said, you know what? We will go talk to every player who signed with the 67. So that means about the time we had 27 players across Ontario, Michigan. Uh, we, it's not true. There's one guy who was in Thunder Bay. We didn't go to Thunder Bay. But we went to visit every other guy in their home and talk to the parents, the player, and explain what's our program, how we want to run our program, what will be the values in our program. And parents did want to talk about last year. We were all, oh, no, I, I respect what's been done in the past. There's a reason why we're here. It's because it did not work in the past. We understand that. That's, normally, that's the way it happened. So, but we don't want to talk about it. We want to tell you that's how we want to run it. Do you have question about it? Do you have anything you want? And from there, we said, listen, that program will not be for everybody. There's a lot of effort. If you want to do it, perfect. We're excited. If you don't want to do it, we respect that. But that that's the way that's the way uh, we will we'll run our program. So they uh, we went every house. 
meet every player, that was a huge, huge kicker. Because when we start our season and everything, player parents, they knew. They, oh, yeah, they told us that's the way it will be. So now when I talk with minor hockey coach, I said that to them. I said, before you start a season, you should meet parents and players, not a team parents and player meeting. You should meet every parents, every player, one-on-one. But, I mean, you you can have your coach if you want to win, but with the parents and the player, at their place, at the ring, whatever what you want, at their place, it's even better. But I understand the time demanding and everything. But you should make it clear on how you will run your program. But the big problem is the coach who blame the parents are often the one who are not confident enough and organized enough. They don't want to kind of compromise themselves with the parents saying, hey, that's the way we'll do it. Because maybe they don't know how they will do it or they're not confident enough in their structure. But what they have to understand is not to tell them how you will play in the diesel. It's how you will run your development plan. What's your plan? How you run your practice? What will be the schedule? What's our values? What's our non-negotiable? What maybe are the rules? Those are, those are the kind of thing you need to share. Not how you will run your power play. That's, that, that's not parents' business, in my opinion. But how you will take care of their son, that's important. As, as a parent, I will love a coach to tell me what is his value, how you run his practice, what is the non-negotiable in the team, what is his philosophy versus rules, team rules and consequence and stuff like that. I think that you should share with the parents. And from there, as a coach, instead to be insecure, you should be secure because you said, hey, you have a question? Is anything? It's clear for everybody? Fine. Let's, let's have a great season. And now everybody is on the same page. Everybody feel respected. Everybody feel you spend time to, to them to explain them. You care about them. And then I think from there, we can move on. And when I was parent, sometimes I was in the stands, listen, other parents talking and everybody has their own vision and it's right and left and it's, it's unbelievable. But who put the clarity in the message? Who put the clarity in where we're going and why we're going there? Nobody. Now it's little Johnny who's coming back home, he's 10, and always saying, oh, the coach did not tell me why I'm not playing. Yeah, which is just not true. But I often say that story. Let's say you're a 16-year-old kid, and the coach tells you you don't work hard enough. The next week, he meets you again, and he cut two, three shifts of your game, and he tells you you're not working hard enough. Then the following week, he benched you. Then after the game, your mom is waiting for you, all excited to see you. And she, she say, hey, why, why John did not play you? You really think a 16-year-old kid who loves his mom will tell you, will tell her, yeah, the coach tell me to work harder since I'm on, but I didn't do it. No. What the kids will say, I don't know. He didn't tell me. That's what he will say. So that is what happened. And you meet the parents after the parents swear. No, no, no. John never said to my kids why he's not playing. Come on. Do you? Re- I remember in my old days having said 
uh, a mom and said, your son not playing because he doesn't want to take the check, the body check. He's always second on puck and he's selfish. He's taking bad penalty. And I, his son was there. And I said, ask him if he knows that. And that was, that was not a fun meeting. And I should have put it in context before. But long story short, the kids, how do you want this kid who love his mom and dad to arrive in his mom and dad and say that to the mom and the dad? Say, yeah, I'm taking bad penalty and I don't want to take the hit. That's why I'm not playing. You can't say that. And that's not the job of the player. The job of the parent is to support his, his kid. And the, the job of the, the player is to love his parents. I, that's why coaching should not be at home, should be at the ring. So I think having clarity with the parents right from the beginning will take away a lot of talk in the back and a lot of misdirection versus the parent versus the coach and it will bring everybody in the same direction and we did with the 67s and to this day when we talk about it when we think about it that was the best decision we ever made in our opinion here in ottawa so we i'll share a quick thing we did with the lines and we did it every year when we got down to the last we could only carry 20 players when we got down to the last say 25 players or so we would meet with every single player and they could bring both parents. They could bring one parent, didn't matter. And we kind of talked about exactly that. There's a potential of the potential of the role, the, how we run practices, the development. Now that day, in that particular day, we said to parents, you can ask a hockey question. Now, again, don't ask yeah. us what power play we're running, but you could ask about, you know, potential time on ice or this yeah. or that, but we're like, it's about equal opportunity to earn, not equal ice. Now, we said after the team is made, we don't want to take phone calls about ice time and who you're playing. But if your son is struggling at school, if there's something going on at home, is there something going on at school? Just it, it is maybe your son too shy to come see the coaches, right? Yeah. No problem. Give us the heads up yeah. because there is the difference between being tough on the player and tough on the person. And if the person yeah. is struggling and you try to be tough on the player, it, it just compounds yeah. and the player Absolutely. doesn't get out from under that, that kind of crap. But so, and this will go back to, you know, getting into your philosophy and maybe let's, let's maybe focus more on, because I'm sure it's tweaked a little bit for junior or it's tweaked a little bit for pro, but I was talking to a good friend of mine whose daughter plays soccer and the coach comes in and he just hands the parents a list of rules. And he says, parents, you have to sign this. So I said, well, what's the coach's philosophy on development practices? Zero. So that's that clarity that's missing, like you're talking about, because if you're clear with your message and your philosophy, and this is something we've been talking about on the podcast, is that coaches, it doesn't matter if you're a volunteer coach, doesn't matter if you're a coach that's trying to work your way up. You got to put pen to paper, write it down, go go see Andre Tournier conference, go see this conference, go try to figure out, forget X's and O's. Yep. What matters to you oh. that could that that could be you, yeah. And but you got to work it every day, and you might yeah. have to tweak it. So maybe 
let us in a little bit more on, say, that philosophy and what you believe is more important, especially at the minor hockey level? That's a really good question. First, just I will uh, I will talk about the rules. First of all, the rules I present to the player every year are not the rules, are the rule of last year. That was our rule last year, and that's the way it presented. And then I give them to junior. I, I do it with the leadership group. In minor hockey, maybe you do it with all the team. I give them, and I said, that's the rule of last year. Take a look at it. And if there's something you want to tweak, you want to change, come back to me. We'll talk about it, and we're open to it. We're not married to that. It's not, it's not our rules. It's not my rule. It's our rules. So look at it. So that is that's a way now to hold your player accountable because when the player come back and say, okay, we're good with that rules, or we want to rule, change the rule on the curfew or whatever, want to make that and that modification, you talk about it. There's no player will arrive and say, you know what? I don't, I don't think we should have any rule on punctuality. I think it doesn't matter. No, they, you give them the responsibility to take leadership. They want to be leaders. They, they often, at the beginning, they were coming back with tougher rules. We have to say, hey, settle down. It's a long season here. It's not an army. So we, we need to, to settle down. So that's the first thing. You will be surprised by seeing your player take ownership of it. So from there, it's their rule. So if they don't follow the rules, that you decide, guys, that was the rules here. So it's not my call. It's your call. So that that is one. The uh, the other thing is, I think it's an interesting point you brought, John. Because the first when I started as a coach, like I said, I was I was really young. I was early twenties, and every conference I was doing, coach was saying you need to have a clear philosophy. So I was putting in place a philosophy. That's the perfect the dream team. That's not the philosophy. That's not what it is. A philosophy is not something it will be pretty cool to present at the parents. It's not something will be pretty cool to present in the conference. Philosophy is who you really are as a coach. There is no team in the world that can coach without being a hardworking team. Because when I coach and you don't work, drive me crazy. I won't play you. I don't care how good you are. You cheat yourself and your team. That is who the bear is. So I can lie. I can put whatever on paper you want. If I don't have that in my philosophy, it's not true. It's not true. I can have saying I'm all about skill, accent, speed, and finesse. When I will go behind the bench. If you're not working, you're not, I will bark at you. You will get me rattled. So it's not the way my team will play. So I have to be honest. I can try to put something sexy on paper, but it's not who you are. So for me, I want to play fast. And that is really important. The player will slow down the play all the time. I don't like that. Can I live with it? Yeah. I can make compromise, but my team, team and coach play fast. That's for sure. We're hardworking. 
we're playing fast. And then we have other things who I like, but it's different than your philosophy. It's your DNA. It's who you are. You cannot change your DNA. You cannot change who you are, coaches. It's not true. Pat Burns cannot coach like John Cooper. He can't. That's It's not who he is. But the reverse is true as well. Probably both of them will be all of famer. There's nothing wrong. There's not one way or the other. But you need to, to be who you are. So you need to find, as a coach, what you really are. I would love to say um, defensive coach and super defensive. I'm not. I love offense. If you try who has open and you miss, I'm kind of, ah, oh, good try. That's, that's who I am. I, I can't pretend, oh, no, no, I want to be so defensive. No, it's, it's not true. It's, it's, it will be fake. So you cannot be fake because I always say when you coach, your player are looking at you. When little Johnny do something wrong, if you bark at him, player will say, okay, that's fine. And then the next guy do the same thing and you don't do anything, the player are kind of, okay, what happened there? What what is that? What happened? They're looking at you. They're looking at your decision. They're looking at your action. And don't try you, don't think you fool them. You don't. They know. They know what's going on. They they don't necessarily can say why, but they know if you're fair or if you're not fair. And that is something I am. I'm there's no two set of rules for me. I might treat the player differently in a sense of if John doesn't work today and Darren doesn't work, I might kick the ass of John and I might talk to Darren. But I will I will do something about both. Maybe I know if I kick the ass of John, he will he will step up big time. But in, in the other way, I might know and Darren, if I kick his ass, he will get worse. It's not what he needs. He needs, I told, needs me to I told you, Darren, you were soft. I told you. I've been all our audience has been saying it for months here. So that is the job of a coach. It's to to know how to press the button, but there is no two set of rules. If Darren doesn't work and John doesn't work, there's no okay. Darren doesn't work. That's that's fine. He's first quarter of the team. And John is a third line player, so that doesn't work. Now he's benching. No, 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 no. That's your player looking. So if you put John on the bench because the turn line player is not working and you keep playing Darren, who's a first line player, now the player knows you're full of full of it. They know you're his DNA talk about or his philosophy talk about is just when he sued him. No, no, no. It, that that cannot work. You need to be consistent and you need to be true. And a lot of mistakes have been made by coaches because they run their hockey team differently than they will run their business. Or they will run it differently than they will like to be. Let's say the guy's a teacher. Okay, you're a teacher. When the, when the principal gives something and one teacher and not the other guy, the other one, for who made the same action, how do you like it as a teacher? You don't like it. Well, be the same as a coach. 
is the same thing as a coach. You cannot have two set of rules in your business and thinking your player will say, Dad, I like to play for him. I like to play for him. You never know what he, who he will reward or what, but it's fun to play with him. No, that's not the way it is. They, they love it when, okay, I play for John. There's not two set of rules. It's, it's the same for everybody. doesn't talk to everybody in the same way. doesn't motivate everybody in the same way. But you treat everybody equally, fairly, and the direction where we're going, it's clear. Everybody wants to play for those guys. So that's what I believe in. I believe as, as a minor hockey coach, you need to make your philosophy clear, what, what you're all about, coaches, and don't, don't cheat yourself because you're not cheating your team yet. You're by yourself in your backyard. You have your pen and paper and what you're all about. And if you have experience, look back. What type of team you like to have? What really get under your skin? What you like? What gets you excited? And that is how you build your philosophy. Now start with that, work with it, and you will realize, okay, that's what I'm all about. And now you need to hold your player accountable to that. And as well, you need to be smart. You know, example, I'm uh, coaching NHL. I love the hard work and this and that. And I coach uh, Phil Kessel. But I need to know what Phil Kessel is. Phil Kessel will never be a Brendan Gallagher. Okay, I, I get that. But Phil Kessel has to give me the best effort for Phil Kessel. And like I said, the player knows in a sense of, John will be set on the bench, see Phil Castle do more than he normally do. He will say, well, okay. He, he works. He works harder than his level. Myself, I have to work way harder than that because I'm not, I'm not, it's not who I am. But the player will understand, hey, Phil Castle is working hard. So that's, if I was coaching Phil Castle, okay. I can I can cut you some slack, but here you need to raise the bar. You need we need to find common ground on a certain level of intensity where it can be good for both. But it's not true. I can't allow a player to not work. I won't. That's not me. That will get under my skin. I won't sleep. I will be sour. I will kick you. the bear. You will poke the bear. I will. I will do stupid stupid thing. So I cannot accept that. So it's not surprising that you mentioned uh, Benoit Gu earlier that he's uh, someone you speak to often. The more we speak, the more I see some similarities between uh, both of you as individuals. Um, and obviously we enjoyed our conversation back on episode 12 with Ben and really enjoying the conversation today. And, you know, there, I want to touch on two things because again, these topics are ones we talked to him about. One was the evolution of Benoit Gru as a coach, how he kind of reflected on what he was like. And I've certainly seen even you talk about how you've mellowed out over the years um, and, you know, I don't know if that's necessarily a change of philosophy or just kind of change of coaching style. And then the other one is going to be your role as a hockey dad. And you mentioned that you coached your son. So this is a two-parter. So one is kind of your, how you've changed. And then two is how you've operated as a hockey dad. Uh, ben talked about not really coaching his sons a lot or making sure that he was dad and not coach. So yeah. maybe touch on those two things for us. Yeah, absolutely. First, Ben changed a lot. He's a, uh, he, what people don't don't the people from outside don't know about Ben is how smart he is. I often say he's a genius. He's, he's a hockey genius. He's he's really smart and he adapts. And Ben is willing to do whatever it takes to win. That include him changing or adapting or doing what 
that's necessary for his team to be successful. Oh, Ben changed a lot. I never been as as tough as Ben, uh, but I every coach who coached in 2002 in junior major, if you were not tough, you were dead two weeks. You you were done. You you were dead before you start. There were no such thing then. If I was coaching in 2002, like I coach today. I will have done a year, a year and a half, and I will be, I've been gone. That's that's the way it was. It was the players were tougher, the mentality was tougher. It was all about tough it off and suck it up, and here we go. We're we're going, and the rule was different. There there were fight, fighting, and it was different. So it was the law of the jungle. But I remember one of my first conference, Scotty Bowman was talking and. The question was how he did coaching that many decades. And he said, the big thing is being able to adapt and not doing what you think is right for you, doing what you think is right for the team. And that resonated a lot with me. And I, I, I always carry that. Sometimes I get sour, mad or whatever. And I'm thinking, okay, I want an example, rip, jump. But I'm thinking, is it? For me, for him, or for the team. And if the answer is not, it's good for John, but don't do it then. Don't do it. I'm not doing it. And that at your compete level has to be high enough to accept and not do it. Because sometimes selfishly, we're kind of, no, no, I'm, I'm sour at him. But you want your player to be team player, to do stuff for the team. Same thing for you as a coach. Don't do what's good for you, coach. And after, ask your player to play for the team. Do what's right for the team. So if it's right for John, for me to to let it go and to look somewhere else, that's what I have to do. That is the way I think should be coaching. Back then, I was not coaching differently. I just thought back then, what was important for the team is what – for the team to know what John did, it's unacceptable. So John was getting it, which today I think the team, if I kick the ass of John, I don't think the team will react on the right way. I don't think that would be good for the team. I think the team will, the, the team will just say, hey, settle down here. Not, don't go too high. Don't go too low, stuff like that. So that is what changed. But the principle at the beginning and do what's best for the team. I think that stayed for years. So change a lot. I think the needs of the player of today are way different than the need of the player 20 years ago. So I think as a coach, if I talk with a player, a coach in 2004 and a coach or a coach last year and I put them in a room and let them talk about me together, the player in 2004, will never believe what the player in 2021 tell him. He will say, no way. That's impossible. And yes, it is because we all progress or we all change and we all learn and read so many books and go through so many situations. We may, I have a, too bad I'm not at the office, but at the office I have a poster in, my, in the back of my thing. It said, I'm, I learned so much from my mistake. I plan to do a few more to keep learning. 
And that is, that's so true. I, I learned so much from my mistake. You need to learn from all of it. You know, the, the old say, you don't, you don't lose, you learn. That, that is what has to be. So the, uh, with, with the new generation, the kids are changed. So what you need to do for the team, for them, is different than back then. So we all change. And as a hockey dad, I had the same philosophy than Ben. For me, when when we were out of the ring, I was over, over. I was, unless my boys were asking me questions, which they knew, they knew I was not about to talk much hockey outside, outside of the ring with them. It's no way. That's and when that I mean, even when I was coaching them, when I was coaching them, get the ring, I'm your coach. When we jump in the car, I'm your dad. That's no more, no more hockey there. It's always been the same. And before I coach them, I always tell them three things. I want you to be the hardest working guy. I want you to have fun. And I want you to listen to your coach. That was the three things. And to this day, they're 21 now. Sure, if you ask them, they will tell you, sure, we have fun, be the hardest working guy, and listen to the coach. That was Always that. So sometimes, like you know, you 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 coach hockey. You have a certain background, and you see the practice, and you see some stuff on the practice. You're kind of looking at it. And you say, "Oh my god, I can't believe they're doing that. That's that's so wrong." But the, your kids will ask you a question about it, and I was going, "Yeah, you do what the coach asks. That's what the coach wants. That's the coach that you do that. Unless if at some point I will have feel." okay, that really detrimental to his skill or him or whatever. Maybe I will have said something, but it never happened. But always been. And even in junior, sometimes they were playing junior A and they were frustrated about some situation, coaches or whatever. They were coming back home and saying, I can't believe they have the fourth line on the ice with 50 seconds to go. The face of the zone and the end of the second period. Did you see that? that? No, no, I didn't. Didn't notice that yeah, I was playing the dumb guys. I was I didn't know. Never wanted to go in the second guessing with my son. So they were looking at me. Oh, yeah, yeah, you play the dumb guys. So we know you know, and you know. But I never wanted second guess the coaches with my sons. But they, that's the way they did. But as a as a as a dad, when I had the chance to coach them, was pretty special. I have a chance to not just help them but help the coaches to be good leaders and try to create some accountability and some some fun as well for people who know me when i'm at the ring i love to have fun i, I like to have fun in life but especially at the ring and john said something interesting earlier and i talk about that a lot with our player there's a player and there's a person and that's two different things I might be mad at you as a player, but I'm not mad at you as a person. And I made sure I make a difference. So I can kick John out of the practice and be mad at him. And I'm mad at the player. And then when I will walk in, in and see him in the lounge, I would go, hey, John, how are you? What, what are you doing today? Where are you? School, school finished at what time? What are you doing after school? So at the start, the new guys will look kind of, what? He just he just buried me on the ice, and now he pretend no, that was the player. Here's the person. 
I'm I'm still mad at the player. It's like we lost seven one last night. I'm in we at seven thirty in the morning we have a meeting. We have a, our pre ice meeting. That's that's always like that. At seven I will be in the players' lounge every morning. Seven to seven fifteen I'm in the players' lounge. Come back in the office seven fifteen and just grab my computer and stuff. We, we're, we're ready before. So at seven, I'm in, and I'm chirping. I love to chirp. I'm, I'm chirping someone. Or I get in chirp a lot as well with our with our guys, and, and that's fine with me. And we lost seven one last night. But the next day, same thing. I'm in the I'm in, I'm in the lounge and having fun and create a smile, crack a smile. I'm not saying I'm jumping everywhere, but I will be the same. And when I will get in at seven thirty. I might, I might kick their, I might kick their ass and say that that's not right, that's not acceptable, that's not us. Need to be better. That this and that. But that's different. Now I'm talking to the player. At seven a.m. when I go when I walk in the lounge, I'm talking to the, the the person. There's no reason to be miserable when we go at the ring. We're going to play hockey. We're the luckiest people on the planet. We're going to play hockey. We'll have a smile. We'll have fun. We'll have a lot of energy. But here, wait a minute. Now it's business time. We need to fix that. That's not right. That's not right. That's not right. Okay, that's it. Now warm up. Have put a smile on your face. Some some energy. We are we're in the ice at eight thirty, and at eight thirty, eight thirty, it's all about business. But the player knows when we are in the drill, it's all about business. When we blow the whistle, we're between drills and water break. Well, they will chirp me maybe, or they will, I will chirp them or whatever. It's all about smiling because it's different. So it takes time to build that move. But for me, it's super important. And I did it with the word junior. You can, you know, Devin Levi really well, I'm sure. You can ask him. For me, it's, it's all about having smile, having fun, smiling, all of it. When we're business, now I'm talking to the player. Now it's now it's go time. Now it's being the job. But other than that, we're the best job in the world. Just make it fun. So you could see us fiddling probably on the video. It's because we're messaging each other back and forth because <laughs> depending on how our guest answers a question or which path they go with something, it will be like, okay, you ask. No, you ask. And and whatever topics you guys are going on, but right away, you're just like the chirping part. You have no idea how much I miss that. Uh, very similarly, a lot of my players know that, you know, and, and what's scary bear is I'll, I'll tell you a quick little story from last year, which, which to me, I'm sharing this because again, it goes back to, it's not up to the coaches to tell parents about, what for check or the time on ice and all that stuff it has nothing to do with it. But especially, you know, I'd been, I've been doing it for so long and I started at a low level like yourself. I started Bantam C. Then I kind of helped with my brother and my brother had played in the league when you were in the league. And then as a parent, it just becomes that much more highlighted how you would want your son or daughter being treated when they're at school, when they're being coached in a sport or learning an instrument or whatever the case may be. So last year we're in a tough spot and uh, our number one's hurt while we're on the road. 
and we're going into Quebec City. And this isn't to embarrass anybody, but so our backup goalie, who's only been with us for about 10 days, he's going to have to play the game, Quebec Nordique game, in the Videotron Center, where they've already announced that they've sold approximately 16,000 seats. So, you know, you know, the, you know, the whole thing, you drop off the equipment the day before the night before, and somebody just says, you know, so-and-so is looks, he might look rattled the night before we went into Shikutami or two nights before the night before we went into Shikutami. They have 12 NHL drafted players. We had one at the time and we lose seven, six in OT. And this kid, I kept him in for the entire game. And it was the same rule that I have for the players. If you compete, you play. The kid competed. If anything, we were up 6-4 at one point. We were up 2-0 at one point. He competed to the very end. So I decided to step out from, and I think this is a lesson that I learned pretty early on, get out from behind the laptops when the players are in the building unless you're doing video. Yeah, exactly. Have a coffee. It's the same thing at mealtime. You don't always have to sit with just the coaches. And so I went to sit with them. We sat on the bench. And anyone that's been at the Videotron Center, I mean, you take some of the best NHL ranks, and the Videotron Center will probably be up in the top three in North America. So we just sat there and we talked. We talked about family. We talked about his the night before and da 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 da. And hockey is fun. At the end of the day. Win or lose, like it, it's not fun to lose, but at the end of the day, you're waking up the next day and nobody could take away from what you've earned to this point. So we just had a chat and after about 15 minutes, kind of give him a tap on the back, we walk away and he had a big sigh of relief <sighs> like that. I said, you okay? Did I say something wrong? In three and a half years, he had never had a conversation with a head coach. Because he was always the number two goalie. And so when I shared that with one of our leaders that night at the hotel, he had told me the same type of story had happened to him in Midget AAA as a player and in Major Junior, where until until a player had a letter on his shirt, coaches were creating a big distance between the person and the player. And it goes back to the Teddy Roosevelt quote. The people will don't care what you know until they know you care. You talk about what's changed with the players and that evolution. And, and, and maybe that's where I'm leading this kind of question because now it's just the sound of my own voice. But that evolution of what players need right now is they need more of that uh, environment of safety, fun, and that you care about them Way before your X's and O's, big time, big time. This and people want to do that in the one-on-one meeting. No, it's not what it is. It's not bring him in in your office and asking him about his brother and his sister. And okay, that I'm not saying don't do that. No, for sure do that. But it's how you will behave with them daily. It's one of the big kids, like you said. Get out of get get out of your computer or behind your screen. And when the player at the building, even in the NHL, the player will be at the ring for three and a half hour, about a normal day if they don't have treatment and stuff. But I mean, 
an hour, whatever before, an hour and a half before, maybe you will start a few meetings and individual meeting or special team meeting or D meeting, whatever. Then you will have your short 30 to 40 minute practice and they're gone. After the practice, it's pretty much over. So you don't have that much time. It's same thing in junior. In junior, they have school. So example, us, like I said, 7.30 in the morning is our first meeting. School is at 11. So it's not like you have all day. No, no, you don't. They get it out. So when the player at the ring, we are with them and we create situation. And like you said, it's it's good to have a meal with different guy. But the other thing, at some point, the player, they don't want you to be around. See? Hey, they want they want to do their own thing. They 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 want to they want to talk with their buddies about what happened last night or whatever, so on and so forth. So that that's a reality of it. But if you're available to them, you know, just make me think of something. With the Colorado Avalanche, the way it is is let's say that's my office. There's a wall here, and it's a glass, and on the other side is the gym. So every player who go in the gym, which they all go at least for a stretch, whatever, every day, they have to pass in front our office. So it's an easy contact. Every day was, hey, bear, hey, bear, every player. So the player who wants to talk to you, you're right there. With Ottawa, we are on the other way. We, we are across the hallway. You won't ever, ever, ever see a player in our environment other than if he wants to talk to you. So if we're not going to spend time in the gym or in the lounge, when the player at the ring, you don't see the player. So now for the player to talk to you, he needs to go out of his way to go talk to you, which is totally wrong, which is that cannot work. You need to make that convenient for your player. Like John said, when the player at the ring, get out of your computer, just go around the player, be around. You don't have to be in there. You need to be around. So let's say the player are playing soccer. Just be 30 feet away with your coffee. Maybe you're with an assistant coach shooting shit, your trainer. Uh, maybe you're by yourself. Maybe you're just laughing with another guy or whatever. You will create it convenient for the player to, hey, coach, or ask you a question or whatever, or saying, hey, coach, uh, can we talk uh, tomorrow? Yeah, no problem. So you make it easy for the player to create a contact with the coach if they want to talk to. And it's the same thing for you. Uh, you can just be, hey, Darren, come here. Uh, by the way, on the power play, just make sure of this. Or just, hey, don't worry about last night. You're all good. One bad game happened. Let's, you know, I trust you. Let's make sure you have fun today, pal. You know, that means the word for him. He's flying now. He's super happy. He took you 10 seconds. That's nothing. But the pirate needs to know you care about them, needs to know you're there for them. And that is the biggest reward I have as a coach when a player says something like that. This year we had, we had a player who had a, AHL tryout and uh, his agent was thinking hey, maybe you uh, you should sign 
on track and not go back with the 67s because he was an overage and everything. And this player came to me and say, hey, I know you talk with our agent. I want you to know, I know you will do what's best for me. And that meant the world for me because our player trusts us. We care enough about them. We won't screw them. So that is what we want to build as a program. We want to build that trust with our player to, they know we got your back, pal. Don't worry about it. It's all about it's all all about being a good person and respecting people. So, minor hockey, often you see the coach who are friends who are in, in their own locker room and talking and shooting shit, while the player on in the the other room and doing their own their own thing. Make sure player you're around the player and you have fun with them and you try, and like I said, coach BWB five, six years, seven years ago, and I was around the player, and the player had fun, and they knew they can have fun with me, but they knew when it was business, it was business, and they were peewee. They were peewee. They were not pro. No, no. They knew Bear, we had fun with Bear in the room, but now the practice start was no fucking around. They knew Bear was tough, and it was funny, but not tough and stern or whatever no 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 that was both they knew that was eh, there's no two set of rules but other than that guys we have fun we want to smile we want to have fun so that's the way i think to do to do things like one thing you touched on and i think it's worth actually highlighting a little bit is the notion of the coach's influence and how in some cases when you you know you're not a professional coach you're a minor hockey coach you're not a midget triple a coach Coaches underestimate the influence that they have, both on the players and even on the parents in their surroundings. And like you said, you know, the player, you know, walks by, you said, hey, you know, great, how's it going? It matters. But also vice versa, that time where you walk by a player in the hallway and don't say hi or walk by a parent and don't say hi. And also the effect that the negative has and really just enforcing that to all coaches listening, because uh, it might be obvious to people in your in your you know, shoes, obviously. But how much influence that coach has, even when that's not the official title they take, uh, you know, home from the arena? Yeah, it's a good, another good question. That we have here in our uh, in our organization just a little questionnaire where the guys answer the question and that presents them jumbotronic during games. And half of the player who had the most influence on your hockey career, it's a minor hockey coach I never heard about in my life. I don't know who he is. I coached me when I was peewee and it was really good. And Graham Clark, who's an NHL pick, who will play NHL, has his coach, the, the guy who has most influence is his peewee coach because he trusts him as a leader in his team. He said, nobody ever trusts me as a leader. And it's a good player scoring goal. Yeah, not as a leader. And this guy is the only guy who believed in me as a leader. We talk about the sixth overall pick in the in the in the OHL draft. He was the winger of Jack Hughes in minor midget. He's not he's no dummy. But that is kind of answer we have. So the influence on even those star player, the coach, the minor hockey coach have on those guys, they're unbelievable. And the same thing with hockey Canada, we gotta be bio every year and person who had the most influence in your hockey career, there's a lot of minor hockey coach who they're probably a good coach. I'm not saying they're not, but they just, I don't know who they are. So 
the influence you have as a leader. And I talked with Dominic Ricard one day and Dom, uh, with, with his program, uh, hockey, uh, hockey, uh, what is the name though? It's, uh, like whatever, hockey, I, not hockey IQ, but uh, hockey D, whatever it's, uh, he talked about the, the influence, the, the statistic of the influence of minor hockey coach has on a player motivation is huge. Just to keep your player motivated, the, the minor hockey coach had the biggest influence on the motivator of a player in his uh, in his hockey career. So uh, that's unbelievable. And uh, by the way, it's a I coach hockey D. So no, no, I remember. Awesome. Well, Andre, I want to thank you for joining us today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, you, you know, Canada's entrusted you with the hockey programs at various levels, and I couldn't be happier with that. You're going to help develop the young athletes, and you're also going to ensure that we bring home some gold medals. So really want to thank you for joining us today. And, and, you know, I'm glad that you're going to get up back on the ice soon. Thank you guys. I really appreciate your time. And that uh, was a blast. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks bear. Appreciate thank it. you guys. Have a good one. And that's a wrap on this week's episode. Please subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Twitter at HKY masterclass. Also, we love hearing from our listeners and would love your feedback. You can reach us at the hockey masterclass at gmail.com. Until next time, keep your head up, keep your stick on the ice.